You've tuned into the Bellingham Podcast for the week of May 10th, 2021. This is episode 189. From that bright and sunny city by the Salish Sea, I am AJ Barsay. On this episode, Chris is still off the mic and he'll be back with us soon. Trust me, I do know where he is and he does still exist. However, I do have another special guest for this episode. This is going to be another back-to-back episode. So, for the next two weeks, you have myself and our special guest. You want to know more? I'll give you a hint. Get your motor running on this episode of the Bellingham Podcast. And now you're probably thinking, gosh, we haven't heard Chris on the mic for a while. Now I have on good authority. He is back behind enemy lines. He's, you know, working his clandestine angles, but I have proof of life folks. Chris Powell is going to be on the show. I I kid you not, not this episode, but the next. So for those of you that are clamoring for big bad Chris Powell, Don't worry, he's going to come back. But for this episode, I've got another special guest because I'm half of the show and he's gone. So, you know, while Chris is out playing, uh, this mice is going to just keep uh, podcasting. So this week we have another Dan. I know I, I have a lot of Dans. Apparently they're all in the military in different countries. But this one, this one is here in this country. You've you actually heard his uh, his his voice before. He's recorded uh, uh, like uh, a few bits on the show once or twice. And uh, we've given a lot of a shout outs. Uh, your friend and mine, Dan Kolbeck. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing today? Good, good. So for, I mean, obviously for full disclosures, because that's what this show does, uh, Danny boy, you and I have go way back. Uh, <laughs> oh, way, way decades. back. Absolutely. Decades. <laughs> decades. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling my age now. <laughs> Seriously, dude. I was, I was thinking about it before kicking, kicking the show off. And I was just like, man, I've, I've known you for years. No, I can't say that, bro. Like literally no. I've known you for decades. Okay. Yep. So like, that's pretty, that's pretty skookum if you ask me, but for, because I know you so well, but everybody else here in podcast land, they, they are not, they're like this Dan who he doesn't have a, a, a Welsh accent. So clearly he's American. All right. Who are you? What do you do for a living? And what do you do for fun? Well, I uh, definitely appreciate that, that intro. Like I said, uh, I am now feeling much older than I, I was about five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so like I said, we, we go back to the Pacific Northwest years and years back, uh, about 2006, uh, got commissioned, joined the Navy, been in now for close to 15 years. Uh, sadly, as the uh, once I left, I have not actually been able to get back. Uh, though I will say the the old slogan of join the Navy, see the world is absolutely true. I've seen uh, quite a bit of the world. It's mostly ocean. Um, but, uh, at at present, uh, actually out in uh, Rhode Island, uh, where I'll be here for a couple more months before heading back down to the Southwest. So we'll, we'll at least be in the same time zone again, which will be nice. So I I do have to say, of course, you know, views and opinions are my own since I am uh, active. They, they are mine. They are, they're not that of the government, but, you know, given uh, what we'll be talking about, I'll give a little hint here. So not just with the, uh, the Navy, but, uh, one of the hobbies that I've had at one point was a, uh, MSF certified writer coach. Uh, so I was actually certified to teach people brand new beginners. Like I once was myself had to uh, ride motorcycles and uh, g- generally enjoy doing that on my, my off time. And MSF stands for, for those that aren't in the two wheel click uh, motorcycle safety foundation. Yeah, man. So like, so if, if anybody has listened to the show, there's like, okay, what the angle is AJ going to do with this stand? Is it going to be watches? What, what is it? Nope. We are talking about the two wheeled Zen known as motorcycling. So this episode is going to be talking about some of the kit that Dan and I have, uh, some of our, our rides that we, we, uh, would, would encourage anybody to check out, whether you're on this side of the left side of the coast or the right side of the, the coast of the United States, as well as some other places worldwide, because Dan's so bad, he is worldwide. Uh, of course, like any other uh, two motorcycle enthusiasts, we're just going to shoot the breeze. I do have to remind you that we are much like uh, the views expressed are that of yours and not of the United States Navy, which, P.S. by the way, thank you for your service, as Chris and I always say on the show. You know, we're, we're going to be keeping this clean and, and uh, motorcycle fresh for family. So hopefully this, this, this podcast is more of an inspirational piece, not like, and we're going to kind of debunk a little bit of the motorcycle culture, right? Like, you know, you're like, I'm looking on you on, on Zoom, man. You're, you're tatted up. You got like this, this big burly beard, right? because you know that's what motorcyclists that's what we look like right sure sure yes uh in in every uh movie uh and tv show that that's that's totally how it works <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 dan and i are regular sons of sons of anarchy right no yeah. so 
so let's diving in let's let's kind of debunk like what what our current rides are uh danny go first what what what's uh what your what's your current two-wheel ride that you you have so uh i i am recently in uh in possession of, uh, of, of an upgrade so i am now on a 2020 uh, harley davidson heritage classic with the 114 engine uh which is just a, an absolute blast to ride specifically the tahitian teal so uh one of the more rare colors out there but i was pretty firm on that one so if you see it chances are it's probably me riding around uh, i don't think i've seen another one with the same color scheme uh but that bike has been an absolute blast i know we're going to talk a little bit more about uh where it's been and and whatnot so uh but that said you know i'm i'm big on the upgrading uh to reflect the current style of riding but aj i know that you're uh, riding something that you've been riding for a hot minute now yeah oh yeah no i've i so i i have my tu250x by suzuki uh back from 2009 i'm gonna i'm convinced i'm gonna have this ride and until uh the state of washington declares it vintage which is which is good because that'll just make my rides and the distinguished gentleman's ride uh, that much uh easier which uh i know it's not on our show notes but i forgot to add this in is that this year's distinguished gentleman's ride which i thought plugs in well with our topic today the dgr turns 10 this year this, this is wow. their 10th yeah so so they're going to be doing it's a little bit something different so last year uh, as many on the show know you know every year the distinguished gentleman's ride they they support uh it's, it's a global effort of motorcyclists with vintage motorcycles and uh again debunking this notion of motorcycle culture of like a uh, bad boys and mm-hmm. girls yeah no the this is a gentleman's ride you get dappered up men and women uh get you know decked to the nines in tweed and you know just looking clean cut classic don draper style motorcycling and all the funds support the movember foundation for prostate cancer awareness and men's mental health this year like last year it was a ride solo together that's what they they called it because again with covid worldwide you know they didn't want to do their ride and you know have a gathering of motorcyclists from around the world i usually ride in the the, the yvr the vancouver branch shout out to my mates across the border someday maybe it'll open up again and i can see y'all just, just gonna say a little bit hard this uh this last year to get it's, up there it, it was impossible um non-essential travel across our border is still in effect um so like i can't i have not i've not seen my mates uh across the border in in over a year but um the, this year, so last year it was you ride solo. So I did rode around Bellingham. I mapped it out and a small amount of donations because again, last year was pretty tough for folks. So this year they're doing something a little bit different. If you are in a country, location, city, etc., that supports rallying up, you can go do so, or you can ride solo because again, it's more about bringing awareness you know, looking the part and of course, raising the the funds to the Movember Foundation. So uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the DGR. So the love for the love of all things, uh, unmuffled drink, you know, if, if you want uh, to support me or any of my brothers and sisters in the DGR. So a little shameless plug. But um, anyway, the TU250X, which is where we came in at, <laughs> is a 250 motorcycle. It's a single cylinder uh, made by Suzuki. And I have the rare 2009 only color of red which if you see that around in the Pacific Northwest, there's not there's a few of them. I've ran into a few other guys um, that, that have had it, um, okay. but but mine is very much classicked out. I've got a rack on the back and um, it's pretty well stocked, short of the mirrors. I, I put some uh, bar end mirrors because I can't stand the short little stubbies, you know, that they had up on top. And it's such a small bike. I don't want the full framed mirrors like you see on the Triumph on the Bonnevilles and stuff. But no, that's my that is my commuter. As a matter of fact, this this time of season, you know, I've been riding it since 2009. I'm the one and only owner of it. It's by far the greatest bike for people to start on, but also just to continue with. Because like if you're a commuter like me, I smoke any hybrid off the line. Okay, Tesla, I'm looking at you. You're about the only one that can smoke me off the line because I get like a whopping 90 miles to the gallon. Yes, you heard that right, folks. 90 miles a gallon on a three and a half gallon tank, folks. My fill up at the pump, regardless of what it is, is <laughs> I, like six bucks and I'm full. That, that, you know, when uh, I, I will say that is a nice thing with the, uh, the mile. Now, granted, I don't get quite that good. I get between 40 and 45. So I challenge you good. to a, 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 a taking off off the line there with my 114. But by <laughs> golly, with the uh, the gas prices down in Southern California, it was nice to fill up the bike instead of the car. That's for sure. Yep. 
So in, in, in traditional motorcycle joshing, uh, as I usually tell, cause I did, I, there was one time I was uh, with a ride and there's a, a local guy here who has a, uh, one of the last, um, the last of the 999 Ducatis when, when Ducati decommissioned that engine, apparently they did a special run of the tricolore. So the green, white, and red of mm -hmm. Italy. And he had the naked bike version. You can see the, uh, you know, open clutch cover. You can see the whole thing. Like it's just a moving piece of, of motorcycle magic but uh off the line like you know uh I, I i did beat him and he goes well you know i could i could i mean if we stretch this out i'm gonna smoke you i go absolutely you have uh, i don't know 750 cc's over me my displacement right but here's the thing you can pass me but you cannot pass a gas station and i said that in front of a bunch of motorcycle guys and everybody's like oh <laughs> so to you danny you can pass me but you can't pass a gas station yeah so <laughs> about that one <laughs> I, I will uh, say i will say my my previous bike i had a uh, 2015 harley street 750. uh it was yeah, one of those I, I had uh stepped away from from riding when i came back from from japan the first time and was getting back into it and it was a good good price point for me same size engine that that three three and a half gallon tank and yeah. uh that that got challenging at times for some of these longer rides my current bike's got a five and a half gallon tank and uh and i can put some miles on i can absolutely sure. so getting into to motorcycling like that so danny and i joshing aside there's a couple of things like even if you don't know much like honestly if you're especially here in bellingham like if you're a bicyclist like mo motorcycling is literally a bicycle just on a bigger frame and a motor mm -hmm. so that you don't have to pedal and um there's a couple of things to look look at like not all bikes uh fit the the rider uh and your the lifestyle so like for instance both of uh, our bikes are our street bikes uh if you're gonna do some more type of uh off-road not off-roading i'm using that loosely but like you know if you're going up to to more of our our ruggedish trails that we have here you might look at something more like an enduro um mm -hmm. something that's got little knobbier tiles think of it as a, a street legal dirt bike um is, mm -hmm. is the best way i can i can i can call that um meanwhile like if you're doing long hauls like danny was saying like you know you might want to have something more in the touring or sport touring uh uh, mode where you have a little bit bigger frame, bigger displacement engine. Whereas mine, mine's more of a commuter. I've got 250 cc's, which gets me from here to uh, when I used to go to the office to, to uh, work and back. But you can go on long rides. I mean, I've I've ridden and we'll talk about some of the rides I've been on on this 250, which dumbfounds a lot of people. You know, you can go. It's 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 more about motorcycling is a different way of transportation. It's it's it is. I, I say that culturally. That's why I opened up the show this way is motorcycle culture. You know, it's really, it's not about how fast you get there. Some people do. Um, my brothers and sisters that do the monkey butt, uh, which is a local, used to be a local ride that goes from Skagit all the way to Leavenworth, enjoying the road, enjoying the the ride that you have, because most guys and gals that are on two wheels pretty much know what's underneath them, because that's kind of, you have to, like your, your life and your skin relies on what is underneath you and knowing how it's supposed to feel, how it's supposed to perform and how the road is. So just keep that all in the back of the mind when you hear Danny and I talk about kit. Motorcycle kit, especially when you talk about the bike itself, is much in a different vein. It's not like- It, it really, it's a deeply personal thing, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I just got my bike back, had a bunch of custom parts put on to include some new uh, bars. A world, a world of difference that it makes. Uh, you, now granted, you, you see, uh, you hear the term ape hangers and you hear, you hear that term, you, you think arms up way above your head. Born yeah, to be oh. wild. Yeah. <laughs> Easy rider rolling out in your know, route 66 and all that. No. Uh, but even those by, by their definitions, just bars that, that come up. So going in my case, the stock 12 inch to a 14 inch rise makes all the difference in a in an ergonomic perspective for, yeah. for riding. And, uh, but you'll see folks that, that no matter what they have, not only the style of bike, but the, the, the modifications that they, you know, like your, your, your mirrors, that mm -hmm. is your style. That is your type because that fits what you want to do. And everybody's going to be a little bit different. That's part of the fun of it. And that's, that's the thing that's nice about this is like, it's, it's highly customizable or you can keep it as stock as possible. Like I know a lot of guys that take my bike and cafe racer out. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're taking the handlebars, raking it forward a little bit. So you have more of that sport feel. However, like that type of riding, like, um, 
sporty looking bikes and they're hunched over over the tank and stuff and quite frankly you and i both have ridden sport bikes and riding like that short distances not so bad but riding from here to substantial distances not that fun it, it really depends um i i will say i had and, and i'll talk about some some other bikes later on here i was pleasantly surprised i had 2008 speed triple uh triumph speed triple yeah that despite its design i, I took it across japan from uh, yokosuka across to matsumoto so i went over the japanese alps over the course of a weekend about 350 miles and i was surprised at how comfortable it was long term however <laughs> that is not always the case right <laughs> your mileage will vary uh see Absolutely. your lower back for details <laughs> speaking of details and bars you might have a radio mounted up in on those bars and you might be listening to us on camry 102.3 fm community powered and community streaming here in bellingham at camry.org uh so talking about customization and picking the best bike for the person and such now let's let, let let's just face it okay like you and i you know, we love our bikes dearly. However, if if there was the ability to be able to get the buy the what Chris and I always say, buy the best, cry once. I know that doesn't really fit within motorcycling, but like let's let's just do it this way. What is the bike that if you could just sell yours and just what is the mm -hmm. bike that you're lusting after? What would it be, Danny? Ooh. So for me, in my ride, I am a huge fan of the Harley Davidson CVO line, which is their custom vehicle operations. Yeah. And in particular, one of my goals is post-retirement, getting out much on the, more on the road, is to ride Route 66, beginning to end. And I tell you, my bike is great in the city, and it's great for longer rides, but it's a soft tail. It's got a single shock. So if I were to jump onto anything, it would be the Harley-Davidson Limited CVO. Uh, one for the storage, two for the comfort, The having the... You wouldn't think this if you're not used to riding, but having the ability to block the wind hitting you square in the chest oh, or yeah. in your legs or wherever uh, makes a world of difference um, with your ability to put those miles in. And in particular, doing things like joining the Iron Butt Association, you know, riding that thousand miles you know, in 24 hours. So, uh, but yeah, that absolutely first choice would be that that limited uh, CVO. Now. Um, I, I know I put this in the show notes, but I'm going to deviate a little bit with you. Sure. So as I mentioned, former uh, rider coach, and I actually learned to ride in Japan. And the reason I say this is the military in Japan, if you don't have a stateside endorsement, at least for the Navy side, uh, you are limited your first year of riding to a 400cc bike. So my mm -hmm. first bike was a, a 1994 Honda CB400 carbureted engine great little starter bike it, it bright yellow with a black windshield i called it the bumblebee Bumble. yes <laughs> yeah i yes. remember that i remember that bike <laughs> <laughs> um and so the, the reason i say this is every rider before you go out and and i know you've got your your recommendation and i just talked about the limited cbo the limited's a big bike big yeah, displacement big bike heavy bike if somebody's learning to start i would not start with that bike it is too much form. Just like my my speed triple, I got that was my second bike. I got a good deal from a friend of mine, but I could not have handled that 1,080 cc engine mm -hmm. fresh off the bat. And unfortunately, it's a big mistake I see a lot of young riders make because they jump on those those bigger displacement bikes. So it's a long way to say this whole buy once cry once is great for most things but yeah. definitely buy within the limits of what you know how to do. So if you're going to start out, I would honestly look at a little standard. Yours, the, the TU250 is a great one to start with. For me, I would go a little bit bigger, something like the Honda CB500. Totally. Yeah, nicer look, smaller engine, but easy to handle, fairly light bike. You want to step up from that and you want to do something that's less touring and long distance riding and you want to go hit the streets in the city, go to the canyons, go uh through the twisties i, I gotta throw another shout out to that speed triple their, their latest with yeah. the 1200 engine is a gorgeous gorgeous bike with the distinctive bug eye headlamps i mean it's 
if I could get my hands on one and go for a ride, I, I don't think you'd see me for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have to admit, no, the speed triple Triumph, And if you, if you're not familiar with motorcycles, again, we have all the links in the show notes, but, uh, the, the triumph speed triple. And I believe that 1200 is a new engine for that bike too. Yes. I mean, like it is, it, you look at it and it looks like a transformer. I'm not going to lie. Like if, if, <laughs> if there was ever a bike to turn into a transformer movie, it would be the, the triumph speed triple. Well, you, you did talk a little bit about it with the uh, with Ducati, but I mean, their their speed triple line is their Street Fighter line. Yeah, which is kind of a souped up cafe racer, if you will. So, yep. And again, those are comfortable bikes. The ergonomics just work. But yeah, those those are a couple of options. And uh, so, I've talked enough about this uh, limited CVO. Uh, in my case, the Royal Purple and Royal Black Fade, which is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, but how about yourself? What would you be riding there, bro? So, so I've, I've eyed this, I've even had my leg over it a few times. I love with a capital L the re-release of the Ducati Scrambler that they did a couple years back. Um, there was, and I don't think they keep this edition anymore, but there was the Ducati Scrambler X, which was a Pacific Northwest edition of the Ducati. It was in like this Pacific Northwest meets olive drab ish green. Um, and what's great about a scrambler, if you don't know what this is, um, it's, it's a mishmash of just a standard riding position bike, but usually it has like, um, a, a elevated pipe. So you get a little bit more clearance. Sometimes they have knobby tires. If you're going to be again, going from gravel to, to pavement and stuff. Um, and this one also had, um, a rock grill in front of the light because you don't want to catch a rock into your, your lens of your, your light. Um, and it was just better kitted up. The feeling of it was just skooka, man. Like I just, for here, for me, riding in the Pacific Northwest, if I wanted to go to the next step, you know, uh, get a higher displacement engine this way, obviously. Um, but again, it would be able to g for, uh, give me a little bit more ability um, to go both, uh, and I'm not gonna say off-road, but just uh, a little a little bit better equipped when I have to hit gravel, if you know what I mean, okay? But it also <laughs> sings on on pavement. So that's what I would do is is that Ducati Scrambler. Even the standard one is great, dude. Like just a great, uh, it's, just, it's just a great overall bike. A lot of people think like, ooh, Ducati, it's gonna be a premium. It's in the same price range as like a Bonneville or any other 800cc-ish. Uh, no, it's just an overall cool bike. I don't know if I'll ever get one, uh, but it is something I do lust after. Oh, I don't blame you. I mean, it sounds uh, kind of inspired by the old uh, World War II army bikes. No, seriously. Like if you, if you ever saw like, um, oh, what was that? Uh, uh, Steve McQueen and the Great Escape. The Great Escape where he had like that, that, oh, that was actually a Bonneville that they did in the filming of that. But like same style. Um, it's, it, but this one's a newer version. Like it doesn't have that mm -hmm. retro look per se. It's a very new scramble because um, if you look at Triumph's actual scrambler, they still have that old vintage look. This is yeah. a new modern take on that same style, which is just killer. No, and that's another thing. So as, as we're casually talking about motorcycles, and if you're listening, it's going, man, this is this is kind of cool and stuff. I want to dive into it. So, so a couple of things to keep in mind is the displacement and, and like, you know, how much range. Range anxiety can be a thing on motorcycling, no differently than a Tesla. Price, obviously, but also weight. You and I uh, kind of mentioned, like, these bikes can be heavy. Mine has a curb weight of about 350, 375 pounds wet on the curb. You know, that CB500 is probably... I'm going to guess probably about a hundred pounds more than that. A swag I think is, is yeah. probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, your bike on the curb, Danny, uh, how, how heavy is, yeah. 800 pounds folks. And one of the things that every motorcycle rider will tell you is it's, it, uh, when it comes to motorcycle riding, it's not a matter of, uh, if you dump your bike, it's a matter of when, like you, you will, your bike, I've, I've had my bike laid down. Uh, I mean, Danny, I believe you've had yours laid down before. Thankfully, not this one. Uh, but yes, uh, I've, I've I've laid down multiple bikes, uh, whether it's in the course or as a new rider learning. Uh, word yep. of the wise for those starting: if you're going to swerve, swerve. If you're going to brake, brake. Do not try to swerve and brake. That's a bad idea, and you will starfish in the middle of an intersection. I, yep. I totally don't know that from experience. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, but but well, the reason why I mention that is, um, you know, when when a bike goes down on you as a rider, people forget you have to be able to get it up off of you. Um, when when I laid mine on um, my my accident actually happened because I was on gravel. Um, and again, street bikes, street tires on a gravel road, not a good combination. Um, and, you know, you and I have been riding. How long have you been riding? You've been doing it longer than me. Uh, 
right around the time uh, my daughter was born, actually, because, you know, I'm totally good dad like that. Let's do a high risk activity. Uh, Absolutely. I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so 12 going on 13 years now. Yeah, I think I've been riding for about 10. And, you know, I, I laid my, my TU down. I was with my dad, actually. Uh, I, we were going to go on a ride and transitioning from gravel to asphalt, and it bit me. Um, and here, you know, here I am, and here's my bike. And like I said, 350 pounds, and a guy with my build, I... You, you can lift that you can because you pivot it up. It's a, it is a motorcycle. You don't have to lift the whole thing. But when you're under it, that's the part that people forget is you have 350 pounds on one leg and you have to push this bike up. Yep. Um, bear that in mind when you're first riding is, you know, it, it, something will happen. And if you're alone, because again, motorcycling is typically a solo thing. Mm -hmm. You got to be prepared to be able to think outside the box if that goes, happens on you. So I will say to that effect, um, it's really easy when you first get a bike especially brand new bike and you're excited to get out on the road oh yeah i will say take the time invest the extra amount of money you already dropped anywhere from five to thirty five thousand dollars on this motorcycle spend the extra couple hundred dollars get yourself a good engine guard and or uh saddlebag guards if, if you happen to be equipped with those for two reasons one because they're a lot cheaper to replace than your paint job. Two, a lot cheaper to replace in your engine. And three, especially depending on the design, like the kind I have on my bike now, they will help give some clearance for me when the bike goes down. So if I do have it fall down on me and on my leg, I have a better chance of getting it out, especially with how far out that engine guard sticks out. So just, it, it can run anywhere from two to $500, depending on the make and model. Uh, but it is a, a worthwhile investment uh, before setting out, especially as you're learning. And I think it goes without saying both of us, I mean, especially because you're an MS or former MSF uh, certified riding coach, ride, especially in the state of Washington, with a license. Do oh not ride with, and you and I both, I imagine, uh, have met people who ride without the endorsement. And here in the state of Washington, at least last I checked, if you are caught, if you're pulled over, your bike is immediately impounded. It makes for a long walk of shame going back home. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. So just, you know, uh, motorcycling is fun. And then, you know, you and I both know within the culture, there's, you know, guys and gals that decide, you know, I've got it. I'm just going to diddy bop. No big deal. Eh, whatever. Do not ride without uh, a license. And also in the state of Washington, you do want to carry at least liability insurance. Mm -hmm. um, because again, you know, your motorcycle, if you hit somebody, you are liable to fix it. <laughs> Well, and, and you mentioned the, the license. I would say wherever you are, look closely at whatever the laws are with yeah. riding. For example, in a handful of states, lane filtering is completely legal. Where lane you filtering are, is? Is riding in between the lanes. So, for example, Southern California, when I was heading home, I would take I-5 South to the 54 interchange to the 805. Well, the 54 interchange would usually get pretty backed up and it's two lanes of traffic. Well, being on the motorcycle, that didn't have to stop me because it's legal down there. There's some guidelines of how fast you can go over the local speed and things like that, which is all incredibly important from a safety standpoint. Um, but other states, that's not legal. So it's something to take, for example, here in Rhode Island, I can't do that, uh, at least not legally. So I don't. And it was an adjustment to go on the road and make sure that I wasn't making the same kind of or take, excuse me, taking the same kind of actions that I would take in other states. So it's a little more varied than you're used to when you have four wheels and a cage around you. Again, do check out where what your local law lay of the land is. Uh, lane filtering, also another phrase that you may have heard if you're not familiar with it, is also lane splitting. Um, mm -hmm. You hear that also in some states as well. And Washington State, I don't believe we, we, we don't have that ability to lane split uh, here. Um, yeah, it, it tends to be your hotter climates, uh, yeah. mostly due to the, the argument being air-cooled engines, you need to keep Correct. it moving over them. So uh, it makes sense down in the in in southern latitudes. So so looking at that, though, the only other thing that I might throw out there that you and I also uh, both endorse and uh, is the fact that you know go through a uh, course, go through 
go through a train personally like i've i've even told this to uh, a buddy of mine uh and friend of the show kevin um before they departed this country actually uh he had a little one who is now going to be you know a, a big shaver and was about ready to drive four wheels and i told him like before you have your son go behind the wheel put him through motorcycle safety first um going if if you are a good if you think you are a good driver then i dare you dear mm-hmm. listener spend the 300 350 it's a weekend course and take a motorcycle training course because then you will realize how bad of a driver you actually are uh, one, one thing i will say to that on the on the courses so from the msf side like i said i at one point uh i was certified unfortunately due to deployments i wasn't able to keep my cur- uh, currency but i can tell you as i mentioned I, I i learned to ride in japan the first time i straddled a motorcycle was day one of that course of that two-day course and i learned from nothing and then there's a follow-up course you take a li- little bit later on that kind of hones those skills not only do they teach you how to go from nothing up to where you can safely ride but seeing some of the folks out there that you see youtube videos all the time of it i gotta wonder if they actually have taken those courses and what they're learning yeah. fundamentals fundamentals and it's something that even if you are removed from the course so your years removed practice those fundamentals your u-turns your quick stops all those things in a parking lot in a cul-de-sac wherever you can go because they will save your life in an extremist situation i i, I completely agree and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of parking lots in your local town if you ever notice in a parking lot these weird circles and ovals that are painted in parking lots chances are that parking lot is actually used for msf or for training if you're like here in in bellingham it's the parking lot uh, i believe on the north west side uh of uh, bellis uh, bellis fair mall that is actually where i got trained as well and my wife my wife also rides and she got hers again she never short of riding queen behind me never uh uh you know rode and so she learned as well going that way and my son when he decides to want to drive four wheels he's gonna have to prove to dad that he can ride my motorcycle and uh i can trust him with it it's 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 an interesting notion like if you can if you're proficient on a bicycle and you become trained on a motorcycle you will be a better four-wheeled driver well you you know what you're looking for because you know there there's this concept right and you hear talk about a lot is inattentional blindness so Mm -hmm. the average person generally can only see about three degrees in front of them you think you got this great vision you can see 190 degrees whatever you really only focus on that three degrees right in front of you. And if you're not used to looking for motorcycles because you've never been on one, you hear a lot of times when you have these accidents, oh, I didn't see you. You know, and you wonder as a motorcyclist, well, how could you not see me? I had my lights on, I'm coming, you heard my engine. Um, gross misnomer, as much as I enjoy loud pipes, they don't actually save lives. I realize I'm going to create contention by saying that, but. No, it's fine. I, I tend to agree as well. Yeah, they're, they're fun. They sound cool, but they don't do anything yeah. for safety. But. It is true that these folks who have never ridden a motorcycle, they truly don't see one when they're coming up because they're not expecting to look for it. They're expecting to see a car. And when they don't see a car, the brain doesn't process that single headlight coming at them. The other other pitch that I'll throw for, you know, you're talking about your wife went through, your, your son will go through one day. Motorcycling isn't for everybody. Right. Uh, I have a friend of mine from from years ago, got really excited, went out, bought all the gear that's required bought a motorcycle Ugh. and then went through the course and just did terribly uh not for lack of trying the desire was there but it's it's a certain skill set and some people just don't can't make those connections for whatever reason and so created this whole lot of churn as she had to go and try to sell her bike and everything else and it is it's much better to go you know, I know MSF does courses, Harley Davidson runs courses, and a lot of times, especially in the States, you can rent a bike to get through the course. Yeah. So get your cheap gear, the cheapest you can get to get through the course. And then once you graduate and you're about to go buy your forever bike or your your current bike, then go buy the nice brain bucket, the good jacket, all that stuff. Make sure that before you put this big investment of money into what your all your gear, which you absolutely should wear all the time when you're on the bike. My daughter rides with me and she wears all of her gear. And before you put your investment in, in all that gear though, make sure that motorcycles are actually for you. 
one of the first lessons, uh, not to, not to ruin the course, uh, is they teach you risk assessment. Like that, mm -hmm. that's like, before you even start talking about motorcycles and mechanics and anything else, it's risk assessment. And that's the thing that I appreciate about MSF and, and motorcycle training is that that is, that's where you start as opposed to when you and I went through driver's ed back in the day, it's a joke. It is, yeah. a, I mean, you know, no offense to, to my fellow friends that are teachers, but you know, the, the way that we go about um, four-wheel education in this country, it needs to be taken from a different vein. It's it's more of a, a pump, not a filter, because yep. it's such a necessity in our, our society to have four wheels and the functional mechanics to operate a car, a truck, what have you, is a, a completely different set of mechanics especially with the prevalence of automatic transmissions these days. I mean, yeah. good golly, trying to buy a, a manual transmission car is darn near impossible unless you're paying you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a high-end sports car. So all of that takes away layers of complexity and concentration that still applies when you're on two wheels. And so now that we've kind of hit on a little bit of the psychology, kind of the myth and ethos of, of motorcycling, like I said, Danny and I take this from more of a technical perspective where, you know, it's, it's a skill and it's also a pleasure to do. Um, and, you know, hitting on some of the stuff that, you know, learning, learning points that you and I have done across the, the, the way, but um, let's, let's kind of segue into rides that are just must, must do rides type of mm -hmm. a thing. And um, you might want to do highway 66 route 66 listening to my sweet alto sound on camry 102.3 fm and if you can't get bellingham's own low powered and community streaming uh radio station on your motorcycle you might actually have downloaded this on a podcast playing in a bluetooth earpiece or a, a speaker in your helmet and we'll be listening to us on camry.org now with that said danny You've been more worldwide with your motorcycle. I've only ridden in two countries, the United States and Canada. So let's start you off. Um, what's your first ride uh, and what's the location? So, so to be fair, I, I also have only ridden in two countries. They're just really a different set of two countries. Yeah, I have not made it up to our, our good neighbors up north, unfortunately. But to be fair, our, our, our great country is vast enough that I've ridden in multiple regions in our country. There you go. You still trump me on that, dude. Like you, you've, got, you've got more locales than I do. But anyway, what's your first locale and, and what's the ride? Okay, so to, to start out, uh, again, coming from the, the great Pacific Northwest, you're used to seeing green year round. In New England, it's not quite the case. They have this thing where the leaves change color and it's kind of a big deal. So to get that quintessential viewing of the fall leaves changing, I got to say, taking the Mohawk Trail in Northwest Massachusetts. So this one, while it wasn't actually a ride for me, it was uh, taking the family out in the car, absolutely worth taking on a motorcycle as well. Uh, so if you do take a look in the show notes, I will say I have a total shameless plug to uh, my very not regularly updated YouTube channel where I recorded our trip uh, through the Mohawk Trail so you can get a sense of it good blend of hills and twisties, but just the scenic, uh, scenery, the, the foliage changing, uh, specifically going from Pittsfield to Greenfield, Mass, is that particular route. And I have a link in there as well, uh, a couple different routes to take, but this is the one that we took. And it's, it's neat for a couple of reasons. One, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it is straight golden leaves the entirety of the trip uh, once we get up there. But in our case, we started from the West End and went East. And for those uh, who are familiar with it, there is a small company towards the tail end of this in a town called Deerfield. And uh, I'm not sure if you, you've heard of this company, but the, this Yankee Candle company, I mean, it's, it, it might've made its way around uh, from time to time. I heard it's a thing. It's, it's a thing. Uh, so they have uh, their flagship store. So word to anybody out there who, you know, perhaps their spouse is a fan of these scented candles. Their flagship store is like walking into a year-round Christmas show. And so you can not only start your trip by enjoying these beautiful fall leaves, but given it's beginning of, of the season, if you will, uh, towards the end of the year, you can then transition to get yourself in a Christmas mood by hitting uh, South Deerfield and checking out the uh, Yankee Candle uh, flagship store uh, before you head back home. 
So I believe that was uh, my my tick in your talk, or are we doing it <laughs> yes, the other I'm, way around? Yeah, nope, nope. I'm definitely I'm talk to your tick. Okay, so for <laughs> me, uh, I'm going to start here in Bellingham because, like, if you're if you're listening to this and and after listening to to this double episode, uh, and you're want to get into motorcycling, like, okay, so what what are now that I've gotten trained and you know I'm not going to be a, a moron behind the the, the handlebars, wh- where should I go first? So. I'm going to say this is post pandemic and let's say the, the, the border finally does open back up. Uh, I encourage anybody to go from Bellingham to the Victoria inner Harbor. Okay. What's great about that is it hits everything that is quintessential Bellingham Pacific Northwest. And you get to have an adventure on, uh, on a budget, which is great. Um, from Bellingham, you're going to head, you're going to head South and you're not going to take I five. That's the thing that a lot of people mess up. You're going to take every, the, the name of the game on motorcycling is take every back road you can, okay? Um, as long as you meet your ferry, that's where I'm just, that's the only caveat. You have to get from Bellingham to Anacortes to take the ferry up to uh, Victoria. Now to do so, you get to ride the one and only Chuckanut. Okay, riding Chuckanut is an essential thing for any motorcyclist in this region to do. It's one of the first uh, scenic byways. It, it's a it's a beautiful ride, and when you do, you'll you'll arrive at a ferry boat, and you get to have an experience as a motorcyclist getting on a ferry because it's not like loading up as a car. You get to go to the front of the line. It's absolutely great. Yes. When you do, you get to ride a ferry. You go up to uh to to the island, and you have to go, you know go through customs and all the other jazz if, as need be. And um, you get to ride the island to the inner harbor. Now, here's the reason why I say as a motorcyclist, this is fun. Anybody who's been to Victoria knows this. Parking sucks. Okay, in the inner harbor. Absolutely. As a motorcyclist, that's not a problem, and. It is the best way to go. And true story, on my TU250, my 250cc uh, displacement engine, I rode from Bellingham to the Inner Harbor with my wife, riding queen. Yes, you can do it. Now, is it the most comfortable ride? Well, we made it work. But you do have to kit your bike up accordingly if you're gonna do that longer ride, as Danny and I talked about. So definitely, that's the first first trek that I would I would throw out there. So, tick. All right. So. I'll, I'll throw out a uh, another one here for you, but before I do, I actually have a question for you. Hit me. A little trivia. Where has the highest wind speed ever recorded by man been found? Uh, I'm going to guess, I don't know, Hurricane Ridge. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it might surprise you to hear that is, is actually up here in New England, uh, up in oh, New really? Hampshire, Mount Washington. Back huh. in 1934, they recorded a wind speed of 231 miles per hour. Whew. So for, for us Navy types, that would be uh, just under 201 knots. <laughs> and they still regularly get pretty stinking high winds. Uh, so this here is my second recommendation, which is to go ride Mount Washington. So you, you see it's rather ubiquitous up here is the bumper sticker that says, this car climbed Mount Washington. And I went out with a friend of mine. Actually, we took our families up to New Hampshire and he was on his uh, road king and I was on my heritage and our families were in, in their respective Subarus. And we started to head up. We actually had to get turned around on the first day. We tried to summit the mountain because the weather got too bad. We got about halfway up. So this is a, about an eight mile trek and it doesn't matter what the weather is down below. The weather up at the top is nasty. Um, and in particular, at about mile six or seven, I, I forget exactly which mileage. So of the, of the eight mile track, about mile six is about a mile of dirt road. So you were talking about laying your bike down on gravel. Um, it, it's heavy packed, but you get to the top, the wind is blowing. In our case, uh, I think we could only see a about five feet in front of us, which coming down uh, was a pretty hair raising to say the least. Yeah, totally. Um, You will absolutely use your brakes and be in first gear and be ready. There's turnoffs as you're going down to, uh, to stop and let your brakes cool. So, um, but it is absolutely an experience. And if you're doing it on two wheels, they actually have smaller bumper stickers that says this motorcycle climbed Mount Washington. Radicorn. So talk. The next one I'm going to hit is um, 
the San Juan Islands. So from here, from Bellingham, if you want to stay within this country, because obviously the border's not open yet, literally just take a, a long weekend, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and ride to the San Juan Islands. So from Bellingham, again, you're going to do the same route, hit Chuckanut, head to Anacortes. But instead of taking the Canadian run, run you're going to do the San Juan Island hopper. When you go out there, what's great is, is that uh, once you're on the ferry, you pay your, your, your way out there. Um, you can pop between the islands basically for free. Um, so that's what's nice is you can explore for a weekend on a motorcycle. And I've, I think I've ridden on, I think I've ridden on every island that you can get a ferry to, if I recall. Um, maybe, maybe not the smaller. I No, I've done Shaw. Uh, so it's, it's a fun, it's just, it's, it's a cool experience. If you want a rallying place to go, like your goal to, to go see is Mount Constitution, which is the highest mountain in the San Juans. And going up there it's just it's a fun ride and stuff my wife again was uh b behind me when we were we were doing this ride so we were doing it two up but what's cool about this is again it's it's an adventure because when when you don't have any really destination you just like oh, okay let's go have i don't know let's go get some some great food at duck soup in on on san juan and then you know by the afternoon you're like you know i'm done with you know friday harbor let's go to let's go to somewhere else or roche harbor or wherever you can just hop around and what's great is as a motorcyclist in the san juans you just again you ride up you wave to the ferry master and they will put you on the boat first <laughs> so like you can you don't have to worry about you're going to miss the ferry Typically, as a motorcyclist, you get squeezed on. As long as there's room and it's safe, they can chalk you, you're going to get on, which is great. And so that makes the adventure, especially if you don't have a, a family yet, if you don't have little ones. Like if you, you want to do the solo or do it with your spouse, it's just a fun experience to do here in the Pacific Northwest. Danny, I know you got one last ride. Yes. So uh, as much as I, I, I have enjoyed my riding up here in, in New England, and uh, goodness, I, I, I had a lot of ideas for what to throw your way uh for this but i i had to, to parse it down quite a bit so for my last one we are going to go overseas so uh, as i mentioned I, i've spent a number of years in japan that's where i learned to ride i uh, went back uh actually took that street the harley street 750 over there got it legal and registered over over in japan and rode it for quite a bit uh so this is one particular ride that's a little bit shorter but by golly it's a blast and this is the mazda hakone turnpike so from here you are riding from the ocean which uh, there's a, a small bay there called sagami one and you're riding in and this is a route that is full of twisties over the mountains trees on both sides absolutely gorgeous and it takes you to the hot spring town of hakone and the real benefit of this ride the, the 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 payoff at the end is at the very end there's a a rest stop if you will it was close at the time when i went there and unfortunately the weather was cloudy but because it had just finished raining a, a little bit uh before i got there uh but i went early morning there was not a single other vehicle on the road it is a, pay, a toll road i think it was between seven or eight hundred yen so about seven to eight dollars um but when the weather's clear, you have this crystal clear, unobstructed view of Mount Fuji. Now, right. I know that, that we, we did our trips when you came to visit us and uh, down to Lake Kawaguchi and, and got some mm -hmm. great views of the mountain there. Uh, this is just the other, essentially the other side, a little bit further away. So you get a little bit more of a panoramic view. And I don't care how many pictures you look at of, of Mount Fuji. It does not compare to seeing it in person yeah. and just standing there and, and looking at that that particular mountain rising up uh over the plains uh it, it is absolutely stunning and and breathtaking to see so uh just like with with the mohawk trail uh i, I continue my shameless plug there is one where I, I posted here for for youtube for those who are curious of what it looks like uh the entire trek from yokosuka up to the the turnpike uh rain and all and uh but that that particular video i enjoyed making just by the sheer fact of probably the single most fun morning I had out riding out there. And that says a lot because, because riding in Japan was an absolute blast. So yeah, Mazda Hakone Turnpike, if you're out there or you get a chance to ride there, they do, there are motorcycle tours you can take for tourism. 
absolutely worth the money and absolutely worth the time. I loved that area when you took me out there, dude. And yeah, no, I, and we could do an entire show dedicated to like travel of, of, of Japan, which <laughs> now that I said that we might have to talk off the mic in the future. Okay. So the, for our last bit, of course, I have to, I have to change my normal shtick because Chris isn't with me, but, uh, we, this comes to my favorite part of every podcast. And that is our quality assurance because these picks are picked for you by AJ Barsay and Dan Kolbeck for your quality assurance. So Danny, as you're the guest of the show, uh, what's your, what's your pick for quality assurance? Uh, so I am going to go with a particular YouTube channel that I am a huge fan of. Um, and actually is a reason, part of why I bought the motorcycle that I did. Uh, so this is a uh, John Maxwell, by the yeah, way, if you, cool. if you just Google John Maxwell, that is, you get some other guy, you got to Google John Maxwell motorcycle. Yeah. It's just like Chris um, Powell Bellingham versus Chris Powell. Just saying. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so he's, he's a, a former uh, Harley Davidson tech as in worked for Harley Davidson. He is now has his own shop, which mm -hmm. is why if you look lately, he has not posted as many videos because shocker running your own business is kind of time consuming, especially when you're a brand new business. Dan from gears and gadgets had just went and helped him out to get a couple of videos produced this last week, uh, which is pretty eye opening to see his kind of his workflow in a day in the life. But uh, he is a writer on a 2018 heritage classic, which is the model year that they revised that particular line. Um, but what's great with his videos is it's gear, it's safety tips, it's repairs, it's just general, hey, we're going to go out for a ride and hang out with other riders. I will say the first time you see the guy, he, he does have the more typical look with the scraggly Big beard. beard yeah, and, yeah. Um, but he's just a genuinely good guy to watch. I agree. Uh, and the the information there, I, I have learned a ton watching his videos. No, and I, I yeah, I know John Maxwell's uh, channel. You don't have to be a Harley guy to appreciate what he says. I appreciated like you know his because he worked as a tech for so long. Like you know, apparently I, I, uh, either a five sixteenths or five eighths wrench fixes pretty much everything on a Harley. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> but like I love the fact that you know here's the things that he sees commonly in the shop, and that's the one of the things I love when I go visit the the guys in in the shop that I go see either whether that's Skagit Valley or Skagit Motor, uh, Power Sports or Mount Baker Moto here in Bellingham or. Um, um, shameless shout out to the guys across the border because I do miss my international motorsports folks. But, you know, I love the fact that he he points out like as again, like we talked about as a technical writer, if you have spokes on your on your wheels, you want to mm -hmm. make sure that they're tight, you don't blow a spoke or but not too tight. Not, but not too tight, you know, but like, you know, checking for your brakes, checking the, th you know, chassis bolts, you know, I've lost, I've lost a bolt off of my motorcycle. Think about that. Like folks, like you don't, you don't know how many bolts are on a car on a motorcycle you do i got off my motorcycle once bro and i actually lost the uh the keeper uh bolt that keeps my uh the little plastic cover on my little air on my air filter rattled oh, off yeah <laughs> and so like but it's one of those things where again from a technical standpoint you know you don't know what you don't know and as a writer you learn like okay this is what this is supposed to feel like this is wait this looks different why is that and mm -hmm. you know i appreciate that's kind of the tact he does like you know you know how to look for a loose spoke what that would mean you know and he doesn't do highly tech like you need to have 85 pounds of torque on the nut no make sure it stops you know or, or half the time he goes yeah there's a torque spec i can't remember it i'll put it here I'll later put it here yeah he doesn't yeah. post he's like 35 foot pounds or whatever <laughs> You know, but, but even, even simple things like, you know, hey, for, for those with, with spokes, hey, start from the valve stem. That way, when you get back to the valve stem, you know you didn't miss any of the spokes. Like, oh, wow, that makes complete sense. And I yeah. can't believe I didn't think of that to begin with. Yeah, no. So that, that's what I like about John Maxwell. He, he, he no nonsense. He's the no BS uh, watchmaker of, of, of motorcycling in my book. Uh, so for me, I've got a pick and th this was an interesting pick because I, I had not seen the two previous ver uh, versions of this show. I knew about them, but I just, you know, I just didn't, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know. I never, I didn't really gravitate towards them, um, but largely because you and McGregor, all right, cool. You did that, you know, you did Moulin Rouge and you did, uh, you know, that one role as Obi-Wan something another and that star oh, force yeah. thing. Uh, so anyway, yeah, right. So no, uh, Long Way Up, uh, which has uh, Ewan McGregor and his longtime best friend, they go to parts unknown. Uh, this is the third version of this. They did Long Way uh, long way Round, Long Way Down, and this is their, their Long Way Up. What I found interesting about this one, as opposed to the other two is that they wanted to take the tack 
of going from Patagonia to LA on electric EV motorcycles, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other topic for a different day. But what Mm -hmm. I found interesting about it is, you know, Ewan maybe started off more as a fanboy of electric because he's got, you know, off the grid type stuff for his home. But what I appreciate is they show the warts and all of the lack of infrastructure uh, Mm -hmm. across multiple countries, range anxiety, like we talked about with gas tanks, you have that in spades on a motorcycle, because again, you have a smaller frame. So battery, you don't have a lot of place to stow your batteries. And they also talk about like the limitations of the technology as it is today, you know, like cold temperatures when you're in Patagonia and it is like negative five Celsius, you know, that's going to impact the actual lithium or whatever they're using for their, their batteries. There's things that you have to consider. It's a whole new level of technicality that I look forward to seeing progress. But what's killer, bro, is that they partnered with Harley. Yep. And Har- again, that's why I started off the show with the hook of, you know, we're going to bust um, motorcycle culture because here's Harley, big, bad, loud pipes. One of the coolest electric concepts that I have seen in a motorcycle is mm-hmm. the bike that they use. And they took them and enduroed them out so they could do the harsher conditions. I was just going to say, yeah, they took the Harley Livewire, which is a, a yes, a very cool bike. But don't think, just like you can't take your, you know, your Subaru and praise a WRX and, and go yeah. hit the World Rallycross. Don't think that you're going to hop on one of these live wires and do what, what they did no. in this show. They seriously kitted these things out uh, yeah. to support the the filming of this this show. But I, I, I've watched a little bit of it and, and it is absolutely fascinating. And it's funny because like I, I came to it more as a technologist, not as a motorcycle. Oh, yes, a motorcycle rider. But I was more curious of how are they going to solve for X? Because, again, mm-hmm. these bikes did not really exist short of the live wire, you know, but like again, Harley had to call audibles as they were doing it because they ran into software issues, hardware issues. You and himself had to actually work on his rig because it, you know, spoiler, you know, it didn't start up one day and that's a problem like the thing about uh electric bikes is it's a computer driving it whereas like you and i talking about like if you know you have to you know balance your carburetors or if you're doing a fuel injection you know okay if you're not getting a spark check your spark plug gap like you can do simple mechanic stuff and that was the interesting part about this and i don't want to spoil it for you you haven't seen it yet is the troubleshooting that they had to think about in writing, the troubleshooting they had to think about as the mechanical side, mm-hmm. and then the troubleshooting of just getting, I'm gonna air quote, fuel. They also had Rivians, which were the the, the EV trucks that were their support vehicles because they wanted to reduce their carbon footprint, blah, blah, blah. But again, from the notion of this is the future, they also show the warts of like, this is, this is the problems that we have with the technology as it is. And I appreciate that. Yes, they probably did a lot of grooming and a lot of cutting, but Anybody who watches this, if you're a motorcycle enthusiast or not, if you're just into technology, it's a cool technology show to even check out. I, I got to throw one one little curveball to you because it's not in the show notes here. But sure, since you talked about range anxiety, I would not be a good sailor if I didn't have a sea story. Years and years ago, talking about range anxiety, kind of coupled with that, gas deteriorates, especially when it's sitting a uh, you know on the seawall for a while. So that first bike I told you, a '94 CB400, Bumblebee. Bumblebee. I took it out for a ride shortly after coming back from, a, I think, a two or three week underway. And I'm out on the Yokohama Bay Bridge. Okay, so this is a pretty massive bridge that spans from Yokohama to Kawasaki in route to Tokyo. My bike died mid-span. I cannot tell you how utterly terrifying it is to be stuck on a major freeway hundreds of feet above the bay with a bike that won't start. Now, thankfully, oh, in my case, I was able to coax it alive just long enough to get to the mid-span parking area, the uh, the Daikoku Futo uh, parking area. But yeah, just like with laying your bike down, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's when. There will be a point that's in your riding career where you're going to have that bike die on you. Now, you might get lucky, like with that CB400, there was either somebody could come pick me up or in other cases, there's a reserve tank, which you tend not to see these days, which is a a, a gross miscarriage of justice in my opinion, but it'll happen at some point where you just, you're riding along and you're not paying attention to that idiot light popping on. And next thing you know, you're stranded buddy. So anyway, that was my quick C story. I had to, I had to throw that in there because now now that you mentioned it a couple of times, I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't share it. 
No, I, I appreciate it. Because like I said, it's, it's one of those things where, again, we get used to things. Like my motorcycle does not have a fuel gauge. It mm -hmm. just has the idiot light. And anybody will tell you idiot lights just prove one thing. The light will turn on. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. Right. So you keep track of things like how many, how much, how much did you fill up? Did you fill up all the way? How much is it in your tank? You swish it back and forth. Like these are things, again, we take for granted behind four wheels. We get complacent. Mm -hmm. You know, texting while driving is not a thing in the motorcycle culture. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> you know, like, and that's that's the, the interesting thing. Uh, so anyway, Danny, thank you so much for, for coming up on the show finally. Well, that wraps up this 189th edition of the Bellingham Podcast. Thank you again so much for listening to us, rating us, reviewing us, wherever you like to get your podcast. Remember, if you are in the Bellingham area, you might be listening to us on Camry 102.3 FM. And if you are interested in any of these cool, way mega skookum rides that Danny has talked about, one, we have a ton of links in the show notes, but the other thing, check him out on YouTube. There'll be a link there. You can see all of this, his GoPro footage that he's done. And he's got a pretty good eye for editing. Uh, from the City by the Salish Sea, I'm AJ Barsay. And I'm Dan Colbeck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> No, this has been a blast uh, there, bro. I, I do appreciate the opportunity to get on. This has been fun. Uh, I, I always love talking about motorcycles, so any chance I get to, I'm going to take it. Awesome. I appreciate it.